are in a series called Closer, and what we've been talking about is this idea that in following Jesus, because Jesus' call is not a transaction, it's not a one-time, are you a fan of mine, whose side are you on, that's not the call of Christ. The call of Christ is not like, join my team, it's follow me. And I don't know if you're like me, but... Um, when I uh, travel somewhere, like maybe I'm the only one who knows how to get there and uh, someone is following me. Have you ever done that before? You're driving and the person behind you is following you. Well, you probably don't realize this, but really most of the responsibility is not on you. Okay, this is what gets so frustrating when I have someone follow me is that I, uh, thank you, uh, my lovely assistant. Um, this is what happens when I have someone follow me. I spend all my time looking in the rearview mirror because they're not paying attention. I change lanes. They're just driving around. Hey, I'm like, hello. And then I start thinking, do they know where I'm going? Do they know that, you know, that there's a truck behind us? Like, come on, let's go. Work, work, work. Well, you can imagine Jesus' frustration when he says, follow me. And he turns around and nobody's there and they're all off doing their thing. But they have a t-shirt that says, I'm with Jesus. Right? But you're nowhere near Jesus. I'm nowhere near Jesus. You can imagine that. Well, Jesus calls us to follow. And to follow in Jesus' terms means to stay close and to watch every single movement. And that's what this series is about. Staying close to Jesus. How can we get closer? And this morning is going to be um, a sermon that uh, you will either hate or you'll love it. One or the other. Um, but it is the gospel. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And I'm going to just warn you right now, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to follow Jesus. It's hard to deny yourself. It's hard to have a, a kingdom perspective. It's all very, very hard. And if you're new to Christianity or new to the Bible, I'm just going to give you a quick warning. It is difficult, like in any other relationship that's important to you, it's difficult to stay close. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16. We're going to spend our whole time in Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. And here's how it starts off. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, now let me explain what's going on here. This is all going to make sense in just a little bit. But Caesarea Philippi is on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. It's on the west coast of, um, of Israel. Jesus was spending most of his time with Jews. Okay, he's healing, he's feeding the 5,000, he's feeding the 4,000, he's doing all these things. He's on the Sea of Galilee, which is, well, in my brain, it's up here. So don't worry about it. But if, if it's up here, he's now all the way over here. Okay, so the Mediterranean Sea. Let's see if I'm looking at this way. Yeah, it would be Sea of Galilee, Mediterranean Sea. Okay, right? You got it? Okay, so this is where he is. Now, why do they call it Caesarea Philippi? Well, Caesarea is a tribute to Caesar. So this particular city, right, has um, three different forms of worship. So um, it's very pagan, it's very progressive, it's very secular, and uh, it's a trade route. It's like super important. They kind of are feeling themselves a little bit in Caesarea Philippi. 
They have lots of money. They have lots of different cultures. They worship the god Pan, not Peter Pan, just Pan, okay? And that's the god of nature. So they would worship essentially nature, not the creator of nature. They would serve, they would, they would worship nature. Maybe you'd call it Mother Earth or whatever, however we do it now. That was their God. And so anytime you wanted anything to happen in nature, you would sacrifice to Pan. They would also worship a God called Baal. And uh, uh, along with Baal comes um, Asherah. Okay. So basically, Baal and Asherah were all about sexuality. They're obsessed with sexuality, obsessed with nature, and they worshiped Caesar, which means they were really, really, really into politics. As a matter of fact, their politician was essentially their God, okay? Does any of this sound familiar? <laughs> okay, so, uh, so, Caesarea, so then where's the Philippi comes? Well, Philippi comes from Philip, that we're, this is all going to make sense, comes from Philip the Tetrarch. Okay, and so he was, he ruled for 37 years under Caesar, and he was from the, from the family of Herod, Herod the Great, okay? Herod had John the Baptist beheaded. John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. The reason I'm giving you all this background is to show you, hopefully when I'm done, it was no different then than it is now. Philip was an elite, Okay, and so what happened to John the Baptist was John the Baptist started speaking truth to power, and it got him killed. He started speaking truth, saying to Herod the Great should not be shacking up with the woman he was shacking up with. It was his brother's wife or whatever, and so he was speaking out, and so he needed to be silenced. He needed to be canceled. La, 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 no more listening to John the Baptist. John the Baptist has misinformation. That's terrible. We don't want to hear from John the Baptist anymore. And so Herod has this big party. And this young gal comes out. It's called Salome. And uh, she's like an Instagram model. And so uh, she's beautiful. And she dances around, gets lots of clicks, whatever. And uh, there she is. And she's dancing for Herod. And Herod's is so stoked about this whole thing. And life is great for Herod. He's wealthy. He's in power. He's got Instagram models dancing for him. All this stuff. And he's drunk. And he says, whatever you want, Salome. And just ask. Well, Salome goes to her mom and says, what should I ask for? And she's like, John the Baptist's head on a platter. That's exactly what happened. She dances around. I don't know what dance it was. I'm not looking on the internet for examples. And so I, uh, he, he, he kills, they kill John the Baptist. Well, Salome ends up marrying Philip. So Philip, you can just imagine, Philip's married to an Instagram model. He's in a position of power. He rules a city that's killing it right now, just doing really well financially. The God, they, worship, they don't care about the gods. They worship all the gods. Everything's cultural. It's just hip, progressive, elite. That's Philip. And this is where Jesus is about to ask the most important question in your life and in my life that you could possibly be asked. He first starts this way. He said to his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? This is a messianic, what we would call a messianic term, a term of the Messiah or the Christ. 
okay? And so this would be a messianic term. And so he's applying this messianic term to himself. But listen to the way he says this. The son of man. He's almost talking in the uh, first per, uh, third person. So like if I were to say to everybody here, we get into a big meeting and I say, who do people say Pastor John is? Well, first of all, you'd be like, okay, get out of here, right? That's what he's saying. And so they answer the question exactly as culture would have them answer. You know, again, I joke around about Instagram models and social media and all that because obviously that wasn't there. But, but this would be like camps, or I, I call them tribes of thought. And so they go through the tribes of thought. We have tribes of thought. You know, we have obviously Democrats, Republicans, but we also have like, you know, now that Tom Brady's retired, I don't know what to do. But anyway, I was in that tribe, okay? That was a tribe of thought. And then you have uh, some criminals who go to our church who like the Raiders. But there's just all these different tribes of thought. And here's what they say. Some say... John the Baptist. Now, these would believe in resurrection because everyone knew John the Baptist was dead. He died a few chapters ago. And so they say, some say John the Baptist. Herod actually thought that about Jesus. He thought Jesus might be John the Baptist. He was scared because he had killed John the Baptist. He thought maybe he rose from the dead. Others say Elijah. Elijah was going to return. They all believe that. All, all the Jews believe that Elijah was taken up and that he was going to return. He actually does return in a couple of chapters later, but that's not neither here nor there for us. Still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. In other words, everybody gives Jesus some pretty high esteem. Gives him credit. They'd have to because they probably all would have known someone who was healed or someone who had that lunch, that free lunch that he provided when he fed the 5,000. And these are all pretty good thoughts. You know, if, I, if someone got me wrong, but they said I was a prophet, I, that's pretty cool. You know, that's good. All that stuff's good. But then Jesus asked this question. And this is a question for all of us. And it's a really, really important question. And what Jesus does is he stops talking in the third person. He starts, stops talking in... Well, what are the schools of thought? What are the tribes? What does this podcast think or that podcast thing? Whatever. He takes it all. He strips all that away. It's very fascinating. And I don't know if he turns to them or not. I don't know how, what the setting was. We'll see him turn in just a little bit, and it wasn't good. Uh, if you're following Jesus, just let him do what he's going to do, and you follow. Don't start arguing with where you're going. Um, he asked this question, but what about you? What about you? And he asked this question, who do you say I am? Jesus is now bringing it to brass tacks for these disciples. And it's the question I would ask you if you are not a Christian, if you are a Christian, if you've been going to church your whole life, or you just decided, you know what, I think I'm going to give the Bible a shot. The question isn't about the Bible. The question isn't about what denomination you're in. The question isn't about what church you go to. The question is certainly not about who's in political office. 
The question does not have anything to do with your skin color. It has nothing to do with your education. It has nothing to do with how wealthy you are or how poor you are. It has nothing to do with whether you're refined and have refined tastes or you eat a Taco Bell. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with you and Jesus. Who do you say Jesus is? And you think it's a trick question, right? Because especially if you've been a Christian for a long time, what do we say? He's my Savior, right? I mean, that's what most Christians say. But what is he saving you from? Hell? Certainly. Good. But what does that do for tomorrow when we all go back to work? What, what does that do in my failing marriage? What does that do when things get difficult? What does that do for me when I get a pink slip? Is, he gonna, is my Savior going to get me another job? Is my Savior going to save my marriage? Is my Savior going to give me that promotion? Yes, He's your Savior. That's part of it. Oh, he, he's, a, he's a good teacher. He's a teacher. He's like a thin Buddha. Okay, he's just like, he has lots of great things to say. Sermon on the Mount, awesome. Good. He's a good teacher. He is a good teacher. He's a, an amazing teacher. And he can teach you lots of stuff. And that's part of it. But there's an element of Jesus that I think we've lost, especially as Americans, that we've, we've, we've missed an opportunity to experience what following is like to the fullest. Here's what Simon Peter says. Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ. Now you and I, again, we just sang a song that had that word in it, Christ, Christos. If you have an NIV Bible, a New International Version, your version says Messiah, it's an unfortunate translation because the actual word in Greek is Christos. And so, I don't know, I'm not a scholar, but I would take Christos and I'd probably just write down Christ. But some scholar was like, Messiah. So, whatever. They're very smart people, but they missed it on this one. You are the Christ. Why is that important? Because the Old Testament, every time that word is used, and we know that word in Hebrew is transliterated into the Greek, it means king. You are the king. You are the king. Now, in America, oh, a king, a dictator, that sounds terrible. That's, we, as a matter of fact, I think we had a war to, like, not have a king. Something like that. I can't remember. We are not a nation of people who follow kings. We have separation of powers. We have all, and rightly so, right? Because absolute power does what? You know the answer. It corrupts absolutely. But you do have a king if you're a follower of Jesus. You do have a Christ. He says, you are the Christ. You're the king. But it's not of this particular kingdom. It's not of a human kingdom. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now watch what Jesus says. 
Jesus says blessed. This word blessed is the same blessed he uses when he says blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are you when people persecute you. He's already given you a context of this word. There's another blessing. There's another way to look at things. Jesus is not just an accessory. When my marriage goes bad, I'll ask Jesus. When I lose my job, I'll ask Jesus. When I get the diagnosis back, I'll see what Jesus can do about that. He says, if you can get this idea that he's your king, you're going to be blessed just like the blessing on the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. And what he does is he takes Peter in his humanity. This is Peter's identity. He is Simon, son of John or son of Jonah. This is how he came into this world. Every single one of us here has our human identity. And we can add all sorts of things to our identity. And we should. We're celebrating Black History Month. We should. That is a big part of our history. And we need to make some things right. But that is not our entire identity. You might be male or female or whatever. That is not. That's a part of your identity. It is not who you are. You might be Republican, Democrat, or whatever. It's part of your identity. Jesus says, you're Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. You did not come to this conclusion on your own. You have peeked into the kingdom of God. You have pulled a curtain back to your true identity. You're Simon, son of Jonah. That's your human identity. That's how you were born. That was the path your life was going to take. You were going to be a fisherman. Why? Because you're son of Jonah, who was a fisherman. Not Jonah from the Old Testament, okay? Jonah is used. Okay, so you're Simon, son of Jonah, and that's your thing. And in the midst of that, God has turned on a light, opened a window, opened a door to this other kingdom which has a king, Jesus. Uh, flesh and blood, you, were, you didn't come to this conclusion on your own, and many of us have had this situation happen to us, and I pray for all of us to have this situation where you're sitting by yourself or in a group or in a group like this or at a convention or somewhere or driving in your car, and you realize this cannot be it. It's not it. There's another kingdom that's open to everybody. Rich, poor, black, white, Hispanic, Asian. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It's humans in our human, human, uh, human kingdom that ruin all those things. That judge people on the color of their skin. Judge people based on what their education is. Judge all that. There's another kingdom the kingdom of God. He says, blessed are you, Simon. This wasn't revealed to you. That was your, that's in your humanity. And now I'm telling you that this has been open. You get a new identity. I tell you that you are Peter, which is Petros, okay, which is the Greek. You are Petros. And on this Petra, this rock, 
I will build my church. And the gates of hell, gates of Hades, gates of Sheol, all interchangeable, will not overcome it. If you can get this idea of Jesus as your king, I'm telling you, there's nothing that can stop you. We have an election coming up. It's immaterial to me. It has nothing to do with the kingdom of God that I serve. Now, I, I, I'll vote. I want a certain person, absolutely, all this stuff. I want AB 7004. I don't care, whatever. I'll vote for all that stuff. But I don't belong here in this kingdom. There's another kingdom that has a king that I serve that has a lot to say about every single area of my life. He says, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. In other words, in other words, I'm talking just to Christians right now. Christian, you should not be all upset and overwhelmed by what's going on in the world today. <laughs> because if you are, then you're, what you're telling me is that it's worse than was in Caesarea Philippi at the time. And I assure you it was not. It was much worse than mask mandates and were you vaccinated and all that stuff. Oh, you're going against Caesar? Die. That's the way it worked. So whoever's in office nowadays, yes, it could be bad, I suppose. But it's not even my kingdom. It's not even the kingdom I belong to. I'm in this world, but I'm not of it. It doesn't dictate my joy. It doesn't dictate my peace. The gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now watch what he says. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, I want to stop right here just real quick because this language sometimes gets convoluted and we start using it in our prayer life on things and we say, I bind this and I bind that and I loose this and I loose that. And that's all good. If your heavenly father, your, your king, Jesus, is asking you to pray through that, that's fine. All this is, is exactly what you, the point Jesus is trying to get to. There's another source of power that's not your circumstances. Your king is in control. Your king is on the throne. Your king has a lot to say about our lives and how we live them. Our king has a lot to say about our sexuality. Caesarea Philippi had Baal and Asherah. Caesarea Philippi has Pan, the god of nature. We have how we consume. God, your king, Jesus, is very interested in how you consume. Very interested in every part of your life. He's very interested in how you earn, how you spend how you save. If you didn't listen to last week's sermon, I really, really encourage you to listen to it. It's on the competing God of money, which is probably, that and sexuality are probably the two top gods of America. Consumption and money and, and sexuality. We're obsessed with it. We're obsessed with it. I just touched on money last week. But the same could be said. I will give you the keys to the kingdom. I'm going to give you access to things you didn't have access to. And the things that held you down and were the things that wrapped you up in chains, anxiety and outrage and fear. We're going to unleash those. We're going to unleash you from those, 
unchain you from those. And we're going to bind those up. We're going to operate in a different way than you're used to operating. So then he orders the disciples, don't tell anyone. And you go, well, why would he do that? I don't know for sure, but when you read this in its entirety and Mark in its entirety in this section of Scripture and Luke, it becomes pretty obvious. He didn't want them to talk about a Messiah they didn't understand. They had yet to really understand what it was like to make him king. Here's what they thought. If he became king, and they were all for that, he would overthrow Rome. But Rome isn't his kingdom. He's not interested in Rome. He's not interested in how Rome even operates. As a matter of fact, one time they came to him and said, um, uh, hey, you're going to pay your taxes? Oh, that would be a perfect time for Jesus to go, no, and get on a horse and with all the disciples and all the people, and they take over Rome. And yeah. He goes, taxes? Huh? Let me see a coin. Let me see a coin. Gets a coin. Who's, whose face is that on the coin? That's Caesar. Okay. Basically, Jesus says, whatever. Uh, yeah, your taxes. Yeah, yeah, well, you live in that culture. You live in that, that power structure. Then, yeah, you got you to gotta pay according to that power structure. So pay your taxes. Uh, he's not interested in that. So he says, he orders his disciples... Listen, you don't really understand what you're saying, what it's like to have me king. So don't tell anybody about it until you get this figured out. Sometimes in my own life, I'm just being honest. I can just picture seasons of my life where I really had no business telling people about Jesus. Why? Because he wasn't king of my life. I wasn't operating in the fullness of binding and loosing. I wasn't operating in the fullness of going, you know what? I'm not going to worry about the things of this world. I'm going to worry about the things of eternity. Jesus is saying to them, look, you got, you're on the right track. You, you're getting it. You're getting this kingship. And, he, and you didn't come to this conclusion on your own. It was given to you by my heavenly father. But let's just keep it under wraps for now until you can see what's coming in a couple chapters later. So what he does, after he tells them not to talk about this, he gives them one of the keys of the kingdom, one of the ideas of the kingdom. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, which they didn't like, the chief priests, which they didn't like, the teachers of the law, which they didn't like, and he must be killed, and further, he was killed by government, which they didn't like, Herod, and on the third day be raised to life. They forgot about all that part. <laughs> because what is that? That doesn't make any sense to them. You're going to die. Jesus is giving them one little step of the kingdom. Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Jesus, he said, you're not meeting my expectations. That's the, the entire verse right there. He began to rebuke him, never, Lord. See, the way I understand kingdom and king is that you win. Maybe we take Caesar out and nail him to a cross. That might work. 
Maybe we have an election and you become Caesar and he loses in disgrace. Hmm. We get everybody we want into power. And maybe, as we'll see, well, we won't see it to this today, but right after this, they're arguing over who's going to be sitting at Jesus' right hand and left hand when, when he wins the election. <laughs> like Jesus cares, right? No, Lord, you're not meeting my expectations. I can't be happy if you're not taking over the world that you were never supposed to take over. There's a different kingdom. The other kingdom is immaterial. Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned. So, I don't know how it all, you know, how it all worked. Maybe, maybe he's got them together and he's saying, who do you say I am? And then he just like turns to Peter. I don't know if he began walking and then I, I picture it that he was walking, and Peter's like, never, and he turns. Ooh, do you ever have that with a parent? They turn around. They pull the car over, right? Well, in my generation, that's what would happen. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned, and he says to Peter exactly what he would say to you and I. Exa well, not the Satan part. Well, maybe he would. He says, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block. What was the stumbling block? Well, it was the death. You know, you shouldn't die, and that was part of the plan. But Jesus gets right to the heart of the matter when you have Jesus as king, when he truly is your king. This is what he's looking for. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, we're all human, so we're going to have those concerns. But it's when I take my human concerns and I place them under the authority of my king that I experience the true kingdom of God. So this affects our sexuality. It affects our money. It affects how we use our time. Jesus wants control of all of it. All those things. He says, you don't have uh, in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, Jesus gets down the brass tacks right here. Is it raining? What is that? Yeah, probably. The wind. Nobody knows where it comes from. Then Jesus said to his disciples, and this is the crux of discipleship. Whoever wants to be my disciple... Whoever wants to follow me, whoever wants to be associated with me, must deny themselves and take up their cross. It was funny. We sang a song, and I didn't really even notice it because we've sung it so many times. But it, we were saying to thank you, Jesus, for taking my cross is one of the lines. He didn't take your cross. He took his cross. <laughs> and he gave us an example of what it looks like to actually live not for ourselves. He takes up his cross. He says, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. What does it mean to take up our cross? It means we understand that when we decide to make Jesus our king, every part of us 
must be willing to die. Our hopes, our dreams, our friendships, again, how we get and spend money, how we do everything, we put it at the throne of our Savior, and we say, what would you have me do? Now, this is completely opposite of the culture uh, of our human uh, existence, especially in America, right? It's all about your rights, what you deserve, equity, all these things. If this person has this much money, that means I don't have that much money. If this person has a really great marriage and I don't have a great marriage, my life is less than. And we view everything as less than, equal to, or greater than. Jesus says, no, 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 no. When you follow me, one of the ways we bind and we loose with the, kings of the key, keys of the kingdom is that we're not so worried about getting our own way. Jesus is not an additive to our lives. He is king. We wake up every morning, master, what would you have me do today? Who would you have me reach out to? Who would you have me serve? Should I stay in my job? Should I stay in this relationship? King, what would you have me do? I'm at your service. This is what it means to follow Jesus. It doesn't matter who's in office. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. It doesn't matter if you grew up in poverty. It doesn't matter if you grew up in wealth. You take it all. Your whole life, we deny ourselves, we take up our cross, and we follow me. And the result is freedom. We bind and we loose with the kings of the keys of the kingdom that our king has given to us. And he wraps it up with this. Whoever wants to save their life, if you're going to live your life with getting everything you can get and having it all work out, and oh man, it gets all everything done, I got the 401k and this and right, and I'm all set up and I'm ready for retirement. I got it all, everything's, I got a, a wife and, and two and a half kids and everything's just perfect, perfect. I drive the greatest car in the world and then you die. You've lost it. You didn't gain it. Many of us have seen over and over, depending how old you are, I have seen fortunes come and go. I've seen marriages come and go because they had no king. And where there is no vision, where there is no king, people are left to do what they would think for themselves. Jesus says, no, 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 no. If you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you can lose your life, if you can take your decisions... And maybe, maybe for you, and again, I'm not talking about, we're all different. Our Heavenly Father treats all the kids different. Maybe for you, that means you can't watch something everyone else can watch. Maybe it means you can't have access to certain portions of the internet. Maybe it means you're certain sections of town that you can't go into because you know what that triggers in you. And you say, but I want this, but I want that. And he says, you're going to lose your life unless I'm king. As the worship band comes back up, this is the gospel. This is the good news. 
The good news is this, that you were created Simon Bar-Jonah or Simon, son of Jonah. You were created in however you were created, in the family you were created. You were born in the country or the state or whatever that you were born in. You were created there. You are human. There's nothing you can do about that. But you were created broken. You were created broken. And we think we can navigate this brokenness. You know, it's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever had um, an injured calf or whatever. What do you do? Your whole body compensates for that, right? Sometimes I'll have my back hurts, and my back isn't hurt because I hurt my back. My back is hurt because I'm compensating for something else. I meet so many people who are trying to navigate life on their own terms, on their own strength, and they walk with a limp. And Jesus says, you don't have to do that. No, you won't get what you want. But you're going to get what your king knows you need. I have good news. If you want to go ahead and stand for the blessing. Your king wins in the end. He does. He's already won. He's already broken the chains of sin and death. We just need to follow we just need to lay our lives aside. It's very difficult, especially in our particular culture. It's not about us. I know it's hard to hear. And so maybe for you, you've been a Christian for a long time. But he's never been king. You've always looked to something else. Always looked to like a relationship or money or power or something. You've never just said, you know what? Here I am. And so, whether you've been a Christian for a long time or maybe new to Christianity or new to the Bible or new to Jesus, it's so simple to go before your king, to humble yourself, to bow down. Maybe you do it this morning. Maybe you do it when you get home. And you just say, Jesus, my king, I'm sorry for living my life on my own. I'm sorry for trying to make it work outside of your authority. God, would you open my eyes? Would you help me to turn from my sin, turn from my deadness, turn from my life? Forgive me and help me to be your humble servant. That prayer starts you on a journey of following day after day after day. And now, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray you would go under the authority of your King. That you would walk boldly this week, knowing that you're taken care of, knowing that He's got you. And the peace of Christ reign in your lives. In Jesus' name, amen.